Hello again, and welcome to the Mana Pool. This is episode 314 of the Mana Pool, the Big Pie episode. So we have, do we have any pie jokes? We have no pie jokes. No. Hey, you guys are terrible. No. Scott, you got any pie jokes? <clears throat> that are clean? Okay, I didn't think so. So, so that's my pie. We are. <laughs> Sorry. We are sponsored by CardShark.com. Better way to buy and sell magic, as always. You should totally go to CardShark and check them out. And also, if you're ever on an article on uh, themanapool.com and you mouse over a card and a little image pops up, if you click on that card, it'll take you to CardShark, the site, uh, the page selling that card, because, you know, we're good like that. So if you're, I wonder how much this is. Just click. Oh, there you go. All you gotta do. Yeah. Hopefully we link to the, to the best one. <laughs> do what? And, and hopefully we linked to the right one. To the, the well, I mean, it, for the I'll, ones that have different versions. Oh, I've started using the uh, all all ver uh, the page that sells all versions. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so we're definitely going to the best one, <laughs> and they're going to all of them. So, uh, right, three fourteen. We've got no pie. I do. I did have pizza pie, but that's different. And I'm Chewy, the lead dork, and with me as always are some dorks. Dorks. Uh, who are you people again? I'm Brian. I'm the lead rambler. I don't know if I'm going to talk quite as much this episode because I'm getting over a cold. I am definitely on the mend, but uh, my throat has taken a beating. Um, so, but I am here and I'm here to talk magic a lot. Maybe less than usual, but still a lot. Um, Even I'm more Mike. than Mike. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, I'm Mike. I'm the rules guy and the game lore guy, and. Uh, <coughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with me right now, but I guess that remains to be seen. Lie. Like nothing wrong, like disease wise. There might oh, be something okay. else wrong. There's, there's definitely something else wrong, but <laughs> we won't go into that. Nice. Uh, we are joined this week by, uh, a special guest, one of the people, well, I guess the reason we're doing this episode. So, you know, why not bring him on? Uh, uh, it's, uh, Har- Harvey, uh, uh Fred. what is your name again? Harvey! Sorry, I just had an image of Batman going, Harvey! <laughs> See, I always thought myself myself as the Riddler instead, but okay. Um, uh, I'm, J- I'm JT, and it, actually, if there's no pie, I think I might leave. I mean, I can't blame you. Just wait until we get to episode 420. Man, dude, <laughs> just, just don't forget about it. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you, you, you say that, because... Next week we're doing Monday Night Magic 400. Wow. Yeah. And I was there for 300. I think I started in like 280 something, I think. Uh huh. So that's two years of Monday Night Magic. Doesn't seem like it. Sometimes it seems like five, doesn't it? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Depends on how, how uh, hard Jack is uh, ranting. <laughs> but oh well. So. I got so, nothing. Yeah. What are we doing? So, oh, there's news. There's news. So, uh, GP Vienna, and I know we don't usually talk about this sort of thing, but, uh, since we have international listeners, this is something we're trying to get out to everyone as much as possible. GP Vienna. And hopefully yeah, it'll be posted in time. Well, it's March 21st through the 23rd, so I'm pretty sure I'll have it's it up possible. in time. <laughs> pretty, pretty sure. You think it'll be up on MTGCast by that time? Probably not, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's an exclusive for all you direct subscribers. Exactly. Like the last six episodes have been. <laughs> uh, so first, bite me, Mike. <laughs> second, GP Vienna. That's, I'm assuming, Vienna, Austria. 
you know, uh, from March 21st to the 23rd, uh, has some additional requirements for, uh, minors. Anyone under the age of 18 who is attending to play in the GP is required to have a written consent from a parent or legal guardian. And anyone under the age of 14 must be accompanied by a parent or legal guardian and is also required to have the written consent from the parent or legal guardian signed in person at the registration in order to participate. So there was some, there were some issues at another GP. Was it GP Vienna last year? I think it might have been. At yeah. some GP in either Germany or Austria, uh, that had uh, the problem where all of the minors got turned away because of uh, local rules and gambling laws and nonsense like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, this time we're getting fair warning so that minors won't be turned away if you have the proper paperwork. So for God's sake, uh, uh, have the proper paperwork if you're under 18 or under 14 and going to Grand Prix Vienna. This ties into what we were talking about last week. Know where you're going, know what the format is, and know if you need the consent of a parent or guardian. Yeah, know if there are any laws that might get in the way of your playing the game. This actually does matter, not just abroad, but like, you know, there are state champions, championships, and generally to play in a state championships, championship, you have to be a resident of that state. So, hey, know the requirements. That's true. Is this just for entry into the event or into the venue at all? Probably um, just the event. Well, it says, as is standard practice in this region for large public events. So that's not completely clear. And it says anyone attending. Anyone attending. Yeah. So that probably means just if you're if you're there. Yeah. But I don't remember... I, I would have to see the actual statue. Yeah, and I don't remember last year's deal if uh, minors were turned away and sent home or if minors were just not allowed to play. I can't remember. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to cough now. You guys talk. There is an email address at the very bottom of it, so they can always email them and ask them. Yeah, for anyone, um, for anyone out there, uh, who plans on attending this and still needs some more questions answered, the, the address is info at gordiannotgames.co.uk. And, um, hopefully Chewie will have a link to this little article in the show notes. You can just look it up there. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure gonna have all this in the show notes. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I was banking on that. That's why I didn't try to read it. What I should do now is make a notepad file with the show notes in it. <laughs> Something I don't understand. So, Windows, my last Windows, what is the last Windows? I had XP. Uh-huh. I had a notepad file that wasn't saved, I but I had stuff written in it. I could open another blank notepad file and just keep going. Yeah. With this one, if I have a notepad file that's unsaved, and I hit new, <clears throat> it goes, hey, you're going to lose all your changes. Because it just only allows one un- unsaved one open at a time, apparently. Interesting. It's nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> so now this one that I was using to take random notes, I have to... <clears throat> yeah, I wonder what they save by not allowing that functionality. Um, hmm. My blood pressure. Can't have good blood pressure here. Which reminds me of poutine. <laughs> so, so what else, so what did you say that place was? You, you listed off like a, a pretty impressive list of countries and ethnicities for that restaurant. Was this on the episode or was I just talking? You were, I think just, you talking. were just talking. Okay. So at a place, so at my miserably crappy day job, 
this was on Monday Night Magic. I know I mentioned it. So, but I, my miserably crappy day job across the street, they've opened up a new restaurant, and it sells burgers, uh, Italian food, Greek food, and Canadian food, which means I can get <laughs> because of course meat. it does. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, well, it's I'm because amused. they're they're Greek, but they uh-huh. used to live in Canada. Okay. I don't know where the hell the Italian comes from. I asked what's with the mix, and she goes, because we're, we're good like that. And I was like, well, word then. <laughs> so, yeah, I got I got grilled chicken poutine last Friday, and it was it – was, it, was, it was – so for those that don't know, poutine is french fries covered in gravy with cheese curd in it. And I added some grilled chicken, and that was my lunch, and it was glorious. And then last night – my, my horrible coworker, he's a horrible person. He's actually a good guy, but he's a horrible person. I love him. Uh, Eric and I went to get some more poutine and we got it country style, which, <laughs> it's, it's poutine. So it's french fries and gravy and cheese curd. And it's also got in sauteed mushrooms, green peppers, onions, hold the onions. That's gross. Uh, bacon. And there was some other meat. I think it was chicken again. <laughs> and it was amazing. Scott's got an eyebrow raised, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Excuse, excuse me while I clean up this puddle of drool. I know, right? So the Canadians don't know how good they have it, that they can just go get poutine. And now I know how good they have it, because I can too. I'm tempted to go in there and like order something else, but then it wouldn't be poutine. <laughs> and America loses another good young man to Canada. <laughs> you, Canada. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, that was my so that's that's the the GPVNA news. That was my food news. <laughs> and on to other news. On to other news. They have. I remember they announced this, but I forgot all about it in the intervening time. But we have new art and deck lists for Jace versus Vraska dual decks. And I have not looked at this at all, so my bad. That's okay. Okay. It's gonna take a while to look at it because for these. For these deck lists, except for maybe like three cards in each list, they're like you get one. Look at all this yeah. stuff. These are these are almost like <clears throat> small commander decks that <laughs> you know you don't necessarily have a commander, but the the planeswalker is almost like the commander for it. Yeah, Mike's right there. This is these are kind of all wow. over the place. I th- I think actually it's it's good just to add more variability between each game in each match. Well, it's probably. Uh, Maybe that'll blue... help some of the blatantly unbalanced feelings that we've felt in the past. Yeah, really. The blue one for Jace, obviously, is Mono Blue. Uh, they didn't try and add something else to that. And then uh, Vraska is Black and Green. So, looking at the blue list, first of all, uh, you got your Standard Islands, you got a Dread Statuary, which is a Manland, and two Halimar Depths. Halimar Depths are pretty cool. Um... And then looking at the rares, you've got an Aeon Chronicler, which I like and I think everybody likes. And if you've never played they it, better. you should because it draws cards. Uh, bottle, bottle, I'm distracted. Um, a Body Double, which is interesting. I don't know if it's a really high-value card, but it sees a lot of play in Revelark decks. Um, it's also a really interesting clone variant with a lot of interesting rules interactions because it clones something that's in a graveyard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's especially uh, cool for this dual deck set. What makes you say that? Well, because there's graveyard stuff in Vraska's deck. 
And there's some milling in, in uh, Jace's deck as well mm-hmm. that helps out with that. Uh, just focusing on the Raiders, like I said, on there's Jace's Mind Seeker, which was one of the new cards, the new pet cards from, I think it was M13. Um, I don't think it was M, maybe it was M14. Um, it was M36. 37. Ah. I'm, fairly, I'm fairly certain it's actually standard illegal right now, so it should have been M14. Wait, which okay. one? The, the uh, yeah, it's M14. The fish illusion. Oh, the fish illusion. Look at him. <laughs> And you can click on these and an auto card window will open up and <laughs> it'll tell you. Oh, look at that. It was M14. Yeah. <laughs> uh, future site with new art with skulls Wait, in the background. That's not new art. I think that art, um, I don't know if it was originally from duels or from the cube, but it's shown up. It might be books. from duels. Oh, I think, I think it was from duels. Yeah. Uh, Holy it's, crap, I didn't even it, see that. It's not a rare, but I'm going to note that Memory Lapse is in this deck. Because that's <laughs> interesting. Oh, dude, which art is that? That's the... Uh, Mirage. Is that the Mirage art? Mm-hmm. That's cool. And it's interesting, because based on the flavor text, I would I would have thought that one of the Homelands arts would have fit better with the flavor text, but whatever. I wonder if there's some reason, like legal reason or something, they can't use Homelands art anymore. And then... They, they also might have just wanted to be able to use a Rebecca Gway piece, since people like her. That is true. Uh, and and uh, there's a spell twine, just rounding up the rares, which is just a very strange card. I'm not going to read what it does, because it's spell twine. So, uh, but just looking at it, it, you've got a bit of a milling component here. You've got some control elements and some permission, like with agoraphobia and claustrophobia Ooh, and other crap. phobias. There's what? a control magic in here. Yeah. Huh. And a ray of command. And a ray of command for Mike, so he'll finally be able to say, you know, does the ray of command thing. <laughs> Instead of the threat thing. Because <coughs> you There's, always say ray of command thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he does. There's so. also a remand in here, too, which is the one that made me drop drop my jaw. Ooh. Yeah, that might be the big selling point for a lot of people, the remand. Mm-hmm. It's sad that an uncommon part. might be a big selling point. It's great that an uncommon. Hey, it's man. <laughs> it's great. It is really I, I, good. I love it that cards like Remand, like Wild Nacoddle, those sorts of things can be cards that people want, and it's not all the Raiders and Mythic Raiders. So, hey, I'll take it. I like the fact that there are illusions without punching you in the head with it. Yeah, there's like the, like, the Ether Figment, the Dream Stalker, the Errant Ephemeron, the Jace's Mind Seeker, yeah. Jace's Phantasm, two copies of Krava Can Mist because, you know, it's the Lord, not Lord. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, what is that? <clears throat> Power and Toughness equal number of illusions on the battlefield. Right. And then there's a Leyline Phantom, a Phantasmal Bear, a Phantasmal Dragon, a Riftwing Cloudscape, but <clears throat> it's just one of all of those except for the Mist, and they don't have any sort of mechanical tie. They're just good creatures that fit that are also illusions. Yeah. And then so, depending on how you want to take this deck, because a lot of people will buy these and then play them together, or modify them, or use them as a jumping off point for other decks, you could go the illusion route, or you could just go ahead and take those out and focus on something else. So, yeah. Yeah. And the new art for Remand is really cool. It is. Actually, what I find hilarious is um, in the chat, what was it like yesterday or the day before? I'd asked about <coughs> cards uh, getting reprinted and how likely it would be, which is hilarious to me because Remand is one of the cards for Modern Merfolk, which is the deck I was building and I was asking about. 
and then this came out last night. So, yeah, I remember uh-huh. you asking about Curse Catcher, and I was like, oh, and hold my breath. <laughs> yeah, I was not expecting Roman to be reprinted. So, like ever, <laughs> yeah, because it's really good. It is, yeah. Which it you wouldn't think so because you counter a spell and they just get it back to their hand. So it's not exactly a counter. Compared to something like I mentioned earlier, Memory Lapse, where it puts it on top of their graveyard, which sounds like, oh, look, they get it back. On on top of their library. Which sounds like, oh, they get it back, but it's literally like time walking them at the same time. So, um, but, uh, but Reman has that so very, very important phrase on it. Just all by itself at the bottom of the card, both above the flavor text. Yeah, those are the magic words. Yeah. Draw a card. Oh, dude, there's a dread statuary too. I forgot about. It. I didn't even see that. Didn't we preview this? Wasn't it one of the pooled previews? Yeah, dread statuary is part of the pooled spoilers for. I one think it's way. the one that Ben read, isn't it? I. It might hey, have been. Yeah. Anyway. That's a lot of detail. I don't remember. Yeah, I know, right? I'm surprised I did. Uh, so, any, anything else before Vraska? Uh, it seems, it seems pretty, uh, stable, pretty... Seems good. Yes, pretty, seems good. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I really like that there's two Halimar Deaths, two Kravakin Misk, two Thought Scour, and everything else is a Singleton. Like, when they said there's a lot of one-ofs, they meant almost all of them. Mm. So that's, that's interesting. So yeah, let's, let's check out... Uh, Vras. Vraska. I, I find it interesting. Not only do you have the forest and the swamps, but, uh, the Golgari Gilgate, there's two tainted wood. And for anybody that hasn't, didn't play with these, the tainted are, uh, a cycle of lands from Torment, where it's a, it's a conditional, yeah, yeah. It's a conditional, uh, dual land, which you can either tap for colors, or you can tap for a black, or something else, and that's activate this only if you control a swamp. This is great. These are really, really good. I love me some taint. The tainted lands are just awesome, especially before. Now we're kind of spoiled. Just because magic has been around long enough, they're, just by accumulation of cards, there are so many um, dual lands now. You go back ten years ago when you didn't have some of these options, and you were paying life for everything, or they weren't untapping. And these things to just say, oh look, you know, free, painless, comes in untapped, dual land, awesome. Yeah, back so. in the day, it was this, or the, um, the Lana, Lana War Waste, is that it? Lana yeah. Wastes, yeah. yeah. Which is a pain land, so every time you tap it for colored mana, it pings you a damage. Yeah. And there was, I guess there, was there a, an enemy colored one that just came into play tapped? I don't not I don't think an enemy um, colored one. In in Tempest block there were enemy colored comes in tapped painlands. Well, I meant like the like the invasion ones that were uncommon that came in the no. play tapped and that was it. No, because they didn't do those with the those were on the friendlies. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, when when Tainted Wood came out, your options were really limited. I yeah. mean, I have a oh I can't say that I have a crap load of Tainted lands because I gathered them up because you know black is my color. So any time I compare black with something else, I think I've still got four of these in my Pestilence deck, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, they're still good. So <clears throat> Yeah, I, they're freaking I, awesome. So I appreciate seeing them here. So um, let's see, as far as rares, and, you know, that's sometimes where you start with some of these things. 
I'm looking and oh, the Oren Viper. This was going to be one of the really big cards from Cold Snap and ended up not being quite as popular. Um, it has the draw a card phrase on it, but it's a little too conditional. Yeah, uh, it wasn't a total failure, but it just wasn't as hot as people thought. Right. I still love them. I still, I've got my four and they go in various decks from time to time. I like them. Um, there's a Reaper of the Wilds, which I keep waiting for people to realize how awesome it is, and I'm so glad that it's here. It is showing it really up is. in um, <clears throat> the black green and the Jun colored uh, uh, decks at like Star City Opens and whatnot. Yeah. I, and every time got, it does, I go. <laughs> it's got five toughness for four mana. That's pretty cool. It doesn't die to like Mizium orders. And it lets uh, you fire your nuts off if you play it right. Yeah. Is that there's, good or bad? Um, I was just wondering that. Depends on how you're feeling. Uh, <laughs> there is a spawn rise, which I love. I love spawn rise, so I'm oh, so yeah. happy to see it here. Um, there's a tavern swindler, which is terrible. And it's not a rare. It's just terrible. It's also make, terrible. Make it go away. And there's a vine lasher kudzu, which I have had four of these in my land matters deck for forever because they're awesome. Uh, do, is that Underworld it? Connections. Underworld Connections, That's yeah. That's and Vraska. a short one. It does. Uh, but so then taking a, a pull back, pulling back and look at the deck, it's killing things because it's got a decent amount of removal with Consume Strength, Grizzly Spectacle, Last Kiss, Marsh Casualties, etc., etc. Um, and it interacts with the graveyard, I guess, just in that it wants to kill things. It's got some death touch and, you know, stuff like Necrotol. Necrotol is a class, is the, the ultimate example of the enters the battlefield ability. I mean, it was, it was the first one I ever remember seeing that just you play it and it does something was, was the mm. Necrotol. It was the one from, uh, was that Visions? I think it was Visions. <clears throat> that, that they, that's, that's what they marketed it with. They're like, look, look, you get a dude and you kill a creature. Look! And we were all like, look, that's awesome. It's sweet. <laughs> I mean, it still is. I like I it. St- I still play with Necrotol in one of my days. You, and it's a two power with first strike, which for four mana isn't that great, but you can block X2s all day long. And then, you know, if you have any way of reusing that enters the battlefield ability, it's just sick. Yeah. And then there's Tavern Swindler, which is just terrible. It's just, just what the is worst. it doing here? It is like the worst. I don't know. Maybe someone there's, just wanted extra boobs in this deck or something. There, there's a I little, guess. there's a little bit of the pay life for effects. I mean, you've got Underworld Connections, you've got Knight's Whisper with awesome new art. God, I love Knight's Whisper. Look at that. It's just awesome. So you've got a little bit of that theme. Um, I get Putrid Leech with new art also has that. I don't know if I like the new art for Putrid Leech more than the old art, honestly. Uh, um, yeah. So. Yeah. But um, <gasps> so, so you've got a little bit of it. What's Dude, the hub? you've got Consume Strength. Yeah. Okay, if you are a relatively new player and you don't know Consume Strength, it was from, uh, what is that, Apocalypse, I think? It's from Apocalypse. Holy screen crap. Black. Yeah. It's for awesome. One, a black and a green. It's an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Another target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. They've done what this a that? lot. What was that first part you said? 
It's an instant. It's an instant. They, they've, they've done, done yeah. it with other cards, but right. this one... This is the only instant one as far as I know. They've, they've done it with sorceries. The difference, I mean, I hate to be obvious, but the difference is enormous. Yeah. The, um, the, the very first one, Steel Strength, is an instant, but it just does one and one. That's mono black, right? Yeah, it's yeah. black and one. But this thing... Prophecy. This thing for for three mana is so huge because yeah. you can be attacking and they're blocking and you can kill a, a third thing and then make your guy big enough to then kill something else or you can knock down the thing that was blocking the imp, the imp, this is such a straightforward card but the applications of it are so huge it it does so much for one card I yeah, love it. For- First, for some more modern day perspective, I can't remember the um, name of the card right now, but there's an uncommon sorcery from Ravnica block that does the three and three version of this, and it's yeah. a sorcery that costs six. It was not near, and it, it's good, <laughs> it costs six. limited, it but costs yeah, six. Dang. and Rites it's a sorcery. Rights of reaping. That's right. Yeah, that was from um, Return to Ravnica block. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this is not like an ancient card we're talking about, and. Uh, it's it's good, but it's not. Oh, sorry, yeah, I didn't specify. It's from Return to Ravnica. Oh, okay. Because you know it costs six, and it's a sorcery. Oh my god, it's got a river boa. You remember how backbreaking, Mike? How backbreaking river boa was a hundred years ago? Almost yeah. literally a hundred years ago. <laughs> river boa was a tier one card. Totally. River boa. What was it? Was that Visions two or was that Mirage? Visions. Visions. It was Vision. My God, Visions was a good set. It was. It really was actually. River Boa, for, for one and a green, it's a 2-1 with Island Walk and pay a green to regenerate. Nice and simple. I think the last time it was printed was what? Uh, it was in something relatively recent. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go, Zendikar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. And it got yeah. played. But, I mean, it was it was Tier 1 tournament card in its original printing. Like, it was it's, sick. It's so efficient. Yeah. Wow, I like this deck. Orin Viper and Orin Reef Recluse, freaking Spider... Pulse Tracker? Pulse Tracker. Wow, and against that deck? Wow. Look, it's got a Drooling Grudion, which throws around Consume Strengths for four mana and a Sacrifice. It, yeah, it, it, that's, it's kind of slow. I mean, it has to be, but if you untap with it, it's just kind of brutal, if you have anything else. And it's got Tavern Swindler, which is just terrible. <laughs> It will, in fact, swindle you. And it's got Putrid Leech, which was freaking amazing. Oh, and It doesn't look like much, but oh my god. Yeah, the ability to just play turn two Putrid Leech before they hit you with a Blightning or a Bloodbraid or anything, it wasn't just the fact that they had all those good top-end cards, but even like on turn two, something like this that was so efficient that could be a 4-4 for two mana, you just can't deal with that. He, he's talking about old Jun decks, by the way. Yeah. So yeah, this... Okay, of the two, I, I actually like both of these decks. Just... Uh, Good, since they're packaged book. together. Yeah, but I, I definitely... I'm calling Nebraska, whoever I play this against. This For, makes me really happy that I actually work at Target and get a discount on these. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. So the new art, or Jason Nebraska, we talked about. <clears throat> Jace with the haircut. With the, yeah. Yeah, he's he's got a real job now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Remand, which is amazing. Body Double, which is okay, I guess. 
I do the like old the old body double art kind of didn't make much sense. Yeah, well, the new one doesn't either, so I guess that's fair. It was a, it was imitating a tree fall before. Oh, okay. That's well, what it was doing. Tree. Look at that. I don't know how that didn't make sense, but well, uh, I mean, I it it was hard to tell that it was a shapeshifter. You just see this big tree folk dude on a blue card, and you're like, huh? And you really have to pay attention and think about it to see what's well, going that, on. Well, that's the trick with most shapeshifters, unless they look uh, like. Unless it's obvious, like a clone or a morphling, where it's like, "Hey, look! There's literally two of me now." It's it's hard I already to actually realize that what I said was stupid. You don't gotta point and don't it and don't play that Seder Wayfinder. It's pre-release, so no, don't do it. Don't do it. Um, you should play that Tavern Swindler instead. The new <laughs> <laughs> the new flavor text on Body Double is really cool. It just says, "I am who I pretend to be." That's cool. I like that. But looking at more new art, there's the Putrid Leech, which I'm with Brian. I don't know. I'm kind of meh. Like, does the Leech it, is part of the background. Yeah, does anyone else yeah. find the smile on the one Vidalcan creepier than the actual Leech? Ah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like she knows it's coming. We're going to get my... <laughs> And uh, the Night's Whisper with Vraska doing whatever it is she's doing. Hey there, sailor. <laughs> Buh. <laughs> Got that olive oil right over here. <laughs> oh, and I love the flavor text there, too. Vraska is saying, I have seen things that would reduce a weaker person to blubbering and raving. Want to hear about them? <laughs> that And look, that was so bad it made Scott die. And I swear um, this future side art... This future side art is from uh, Duels, because I remember... Well, yeah, but I think it was in the cube first. Oh, okay. That's, what I, that's what I meant by what I said earlier. Maybe it was because it was in the queue. I remember us talking about it and wondering where it was going to be reprinted, and then it never was. Uh, huh, that's uh, weird, because Future Sight wasn't in anything else but Onslaught. Yeah. Yeah, it was so. in Duels of the Planeswalkers and apparently in the cube, too. No, oh, that's in cube. I thought, I thought you meant another dual deck. Oh, no. no, no. Sorry, duel, Duels of the Planeswalkers. That yeah. was our bad. Uh, I'm just going to throw this out real quick. You dual may have heard versus Sealed. <laughs> you may you may have heard me typing in my phone just for a second there. That's because Dirk literally just uh, responded back to a text I sent him earlier. He said his original text back said he would. Uh, let me let me read this. Um, Everyone is well. I will be able to play. Saturday is Trevor's birthday, and all the grandparents and the families are going to the Greensboro Science Museum. Tell everyone hey for me, and I will try to be on the podcast next week. And I'm like. <laughs> Something about this. So, just... yeah, those two things don't add up. <laughs> and then he sent a second text. Star unable to attend playing cards. Okay. <laughs> and I sent back. I, I figured that's what you meant. Happy birthday to Trevor. Uh, but... oh, well, his little so so, so, up. so Dirk wishes everyone a, a merry day. Um, and yeah, so we're uh, yeah, and the door, we're gonna try and get together this weekend, minus Dirk because he can't go because you know his kid's birthday, which takes precedence. So anyway, I'm just throwing that out there. But okay then. So anything, anything else about, about this versus Vraska? I kind of I kind of agree with Chewy that I I think the Vraska desk deck kind of appeals to me personally a little more, but I think there's some decent stuff in the in the Jace deck as well. I think um it would be interesting. I don't know if I'm really gonna spend any money on these personally. He said with that upturn in his voice that means maybe he will. 
but I mean, I certainly wouldn't mind it. Uh, I think these, um, I think these look good. I think they did a decent job with them this time. Yeah, I mean, I have all the dual decks. I might have missed the last one. I need, I really need to check. So I'll end up buying it. But... I've, I've, I've <clears throat> dropped off. I was getting them all for a while, and uh... I can't call which one will win because I've learned that I can't do that from looking at deck lists. We really oh, yeah, it's especially hard. Oh. <laughs> the dragon's deck was going to completely kill the knight's deck, and then it turned out to be the complete opposite. Yeah. When you're a turn behind every single game. <laughs> what so, Mike, what were you going to say? Um, I, Did he just get dropped off minute, the call? Oh. I'm sorry. Something started playing in a browser tab, and I had no <laughs> idea what was going God, on. God, I hate it when that happens. I just froze. Because um, you think someone's in your apartment or in your computer. Like... <laughs> <laughs> or one of you just started saying something completely crazy for no reason. Which happens sometimes. So, so I so I needed to to determine whether or not that was the case. Damn it, JT! What have you done? I often say crazy things for little or no reason. So, poutine. <laughs> I can't remember what the question was. We were talking about which one you think will win. I can't tell oh, from looking. You know. Right, right. I was saying, and it's especially difficult since. Um, since these since these lists are so full of one ofs, that is a good point. And it's hard to get in your head exactly where each deck is going, even though there are a lot of, even though there are only you know a small handful of um, themes and sub themes in each one. So these come out March fourteenth, and again there is no mention of MSRP or any of that. At least there is a date this time. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Mike McCarter. I guess that's how you pronounce your name. I appreciate you. But, you know, throw a link to the original one or mention the MSRP or something. You guys are killing me with this. You trying to keep this crap a secret? <sighs> anyway, sorry. Pet peeve. Uh, that's really weird. You're really weird. I mean, what? <laughs> so, I was originally going to say that I thought Vraska's deck would be better, well, would win more games than Jace's because she's Golgari, so she wants stuff in the graveyard and Jace is milling you. But her deck doesn't really have much to do with the graveyard besides just recurring one or two things. It just like kills most of the stuff and it's got a white of Precinct 6 and that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which might be to keep them balanced. I mean, obviously Vraska's going to win anyway because she has the um, Tavern Swindler, but because <laughs> it's so bad, Jace will just go, uh, and his brain will break. Let's let's do a quick exercise. Everybody, name one card. If you can name any card, name one card that you would put in each of these decks, just as a one of. And I'll go first as an example. For the Vraska deck, I'd probably put in a Deadbridge Chant to kind of give it a little more of what JT was just talking about. A little more of the graveyard recursion. It doesn't really interact with... Um, with Jace's deck, like, trying to do anything with their graveyard, and it's also got that kind of risk-reward going on, because you're milling 10 from your own, which the deck, uh, the Jace deck is going to be thrilled about, but you're also then setting yourself up in pre- in next turns to go ahead and, and deal with that, and so I think that would be very interesting there. And then from the Jace deck, it's a little harder, but I might actually put in something like a bribery. Um, just... Bruh. Just because you're kind of preying on the opponent's deck and kind of using it as your resource. And that actually has some tension with 
the milling aspect as far as you could like body double to get something that's already in that graveyard or you can bribery to get something that's still in their library. And so that sort of tension push and pull there. So uh, somebody else, what would you add? Putrefy. Putrefy. Would that go in Jace? <laughs> Too easy. No, it would not. <laughs> All right, so you'd add a Putrefy, and what would go in the other one? Da, 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 da. No, you cannot add another Tavern Swindler. That is oh, OP. Uh, you could you could mirror the Necrotal and play with Mana War. Oh, that oh. would be cool. Hey, I like I that. I mean, it already has the either end up, but... Is there is there a man of war type creature that's an, an illusion? Oh, there is that's a freaking Riftwing Cloudscape. Duh. Oh yeah, but it costs more. But it costs more or time. But if we're going back to visions, visions, man. I was Best looking at. Uh, I actually did a search for illusions just to see what I could find. It looked good. I completely forgot Phantom Warrior was an illusion again. Yup. But I wouldn't throw him in here. Okay, so uh, what would you throw in? You know, it might be o- overpowered, but I might throw a Phantasmal Image in here just because. It's freaking amazing. That's cool. And you're kind of limited by what the decks can already produce. It's not broken unless you introduce it to other broken cards. Yeah. And especially without Lord of the Unreal, it's not nearly as powerful. Yeah. Which is actually what I was going to add. <laughs> not not nice. a Deadeye Navigator? I did consider that one too, <laughs> but I have a penchant for blue-blue uh, two-two lords. So, yeah. and what would you add to Shant, to Vraska? I might actually go with the Varals. Okay. Wow. The scar striped. True. Yeah. What would you What would you add to Vraska? You never said. I don't know. I was still wondering about that. You could um, shuffle her deck and Sharad's deck together and see what happens. Ooh. Wow, that you can shuffle Jace's deck and Niv Miz's deck together and see what happens. You can have an epic dual deck. Actually, were those two all basically one ofs too? I can't remember right Wait, now. Wait, what was that? Were the is the versus Golgari dual decks um, a bunch of one ofs? <clears throat> can't really remember. And I remember <sighs> because if they were, you might actually have a like commander dual decks right there. Hmm. Ooh, ooh, I know. I'd throw a consume... Uh, crap. Never mind. <laughs> Trying to oh, think yeah, well, of something well, that's like... Death Red Shaman! Er, no. Uh, <laughs> something that's really, like, useful but not stupid. Like, stupidly powerful, you know? Like, uh, that guy I just said, what was his name? Death Red Shaman. Yeah, that guy. Ace of Granite is just way too good. Pernicious Deed? Pernicious... <laughs> Cadaver's Bloom. Uh, I was Man, thinking these, maybe these, these who's, ring cards are good. Who is the troll? Uh, the new um, the uh, Lotless troll. troll. Yeah. Ooh. He might be good. I don't know since regenerate won't matter for anything but combat. As far as um, what's his name? Jace is concerned. Right. Yeah. There are no wrath effects, but but then he he becomes a dominant force on the grave on the battlefront. But you battle ground. But you, uh, Battlefield, whatever it's called. Uh, Battlefield. But, but you're having to potentially stock your own graveyard to do so, which is pulling the Jace deck further ahead. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So I just looked it up. 
and Iza versus Golgari was the same format where everything was a one of except for three cards in each deck. Okay. Well, how about that? So you can, like I said, shuffle them together and have commander dual decks. <laughs> Seems good. <laughs> Somebody out there get on that and let us know how it goes. Oh well. <clears throat> so how long how long have we been going? Does anybody know? Long enough for a break. It's like almost an hour. Some of that KCAT bar. Ow. Oh, I unmuted and then said ow, but no one knows why. <laughs> I was just choking to I death. I thought you were imitating the Kit Kat bar. You were empath- empathizing? Break me off a piece of that. Uh, Kit Kat bar. <laughs> I did say that at work today, but it wasn't a Kit Kat bar. Anyway. Um, okay, so yeah, let's, let's take a short break then, just because. We'll get back to our main topic, as it were. So last week I used a uh, DJ Lobster Dust mashup, and I really love... Well done mashups. Uh, DJ Lobster Dust and Isosign are two of my favorites. Uh, girl talk is too much. <laughs> I, can't, I can't handle girl talk. Uh, when <laughs> girl, I was talk first, girl talk is the logical conclusion of of the mashup genre. That is exactly what I was about to lead into. Uh, <laughs> when I was, I asked uh, Spruik, you know, uh, Bill Bolden from the Gathering, and you know, Spruik, he does uh, Bump in the Night on MTG Cast. He's a DJ. I asked him, hey, I'm, I'm really digging mashups. You know, who should I listen to? He said, go to Girl Talk. Girl Talk is the, uh, what did he say? The, like, the, the, the best of the genre. And I was like, okay. And I told Mike this, and Mike said what he just said. It's the logical conclusion. Cause Girl Talk, like a normal mashup is like these, <clears throat> like the, the basic mashup is this, uh, song's lyrics and this song's music. And you put them together in such a way that makes sense. Sort of like the one I played last week. It's fun to be young at the YMCA. But then, Girl Talk, oh god, is like, each track is like four different things mashed together, and, I'm sorry, four different pairs of things mashed together that just switch back and forth. It's like, every song he's just playing with his settings. He's like, let's do this and this, yeah, now we'll throw down that, uh. And it's, it's, I can't do it. It's too, it's very, it's too kinetic for me. <laughs> But most of the stuff I've heard by DJ Lobster Dust, and I have a lot, I have a whole lot, is really good. So here's another one. It's called Smash My Bitch Up. <clears throat> it's uh, Bullet with Butterfly Wings by Smashing Pumpkins and Smack My Bitch Up by Prodigy. Hell yeah, 90s. And there's no swearing on Monday Night Magic. <laughs> so yeah, enjoy that, and we'll be right back. is a vampire sent to drain secret destroyer hold you up to the flames why do I get my pain so despite all my rage huh? you think putting Packrat in a cage would do anything? break the cage probably fair enough okay so, stupid pack rat. What does Barl's Cage do? Um, Barl's Cage, it costs four, and you can pay three. Target creature doesn't untap during his controller's next untap step. But you don't have to tap pack rat, so pfft. it actually doesn't do anything. Nope. What else is there for cage? There's Cage of Hands. <clears throat> hmm. That just means attack. enchanted creature can't attack or block. That doesn't help. 
cage uh, sun would just make it more powerful. Yeah. Cage male. Grafdigger's cage. Nope, that doesn't help. Monkey cage. Ice cage. Ice cage will do it. Ice cage. There you go. Uh, Mission the mind cage will work if you have enough cards in your hand. Monkey cage doesn't help. Pauper's cage. Two, nope. Rib cage spider. Buh. Wait, root cage? Really? Mercenaries don't untap during their controller's untap step. And it's called root cage. <sighs> Damn it, prophecy. There was you an equally fired. there was an equally stupid rebel hosing one. Oh, damn it, mercenaries! But I think I think the rebel hosing one said like it added, it basically added sacrifice a land to the activated abilities of rebels. Hmm. Brutal suppression. Activated abilities of non-token rebels cost an additional sacrifice a land to activate. Wow, that's. What we call niche. Yeah, that, but I mean, since that's all rebels do, that's uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Guess how much it stopped rebels from being a good deck. Not at all. No. Lin Sivy is about as fair as nothing. No. Anyway, enough. You think Stoneforge Mystic is bad? Holy crap! <laughs> yeah, she got banned in block. So, <laughs> buh. <laughs> oh well. So. Then again, Intangible Virtue got banned in block too. So, yeah. Well, that's because they made too many of those things. Yeah. Little one-one bastards. <laughs> Smashed a bitch up. <laughs> so, we start with something else. So last week, somebody Cars tell us what we talked about last week. Constructed. Wait, what? <laughs> um, no, never mind, keep going. <laughs> that's probably a pretty short list. Until you get to Mirrodin Block. <laughs> Wait, did they ban that? Did they ban that deck in Block? Or I was thought, there a block back then? Yeah, there was still block. I mean, there's still block constructed now. There was block constructed all the way back to Ice Age, I thought. No, but I mean, was block can block constructed used to be weird, where sometimes like it would never come up in a tournament. Uh, oh yeah, sometimes it wasn't used in any like like PTQ season or something. Right. Yeah, sometimes it would only show up as one of the um, gauntlet of events at a pro tour or something. Yeah. Or yeah. one of the gauntlet of events at a world championships or something. Mm. I or do remember. I think Arcbound Ravager was actually banned in uh, Mirrodin Block. Because I seem to remember in a really, really, really early episode when we were explaining how Gatherer worked. <laughs> we were like, look, if you do a search in Mirrodin Block, you won't find an Arcbound Ravager. And here's why. Aha, uh-huh, right. <clears throat> I do remember that part of the conversation. <laughs> it was... Isn't that creepy? That was like six years ago. That's really, really weird. Anyway, so what did we talk about last week? You guys did most of the talking, so bring us back up to speed real quick. Um, what we talked about last week uh, at JT's suggestion was talking about making the transition from, you know, basically what people called the kitchen table to the tournament scene. And we ended up spending uh, a lot of time, and I think more time and much more time in detail than we initially expected last week, just focusing on the whole like a mental preparation aspect of it, getting right. yourself mentally and emotionally ready and to a certain extent educated about what you're going out there to do and what you can expect and how you need to act when you're out there in public. <coughs> and we didn't really get into any of the technical details, like um, researching the format, building a deck, getting cards, and other stuff like that, which are some of the things that we hope to touch on today. Mm-hmm. 
and maybe having JT here will help if he comes up with any more specific questions to help lead the conversation to what to what an interested person would want to hear about the subject. So I guess let's go ahead and get started. Mike, um, yes. when you know that there's an event coming up and you know, for example, that it, it's going to be a standard event, do you generally start researching first or do you start building the deck first? Do you already have an idea for the deck and then you try and make that deck fit? Me personally, um, it's almost always the case of I already have a deck for whatever reason that I've been, you know, playing at FNM or whatever, and then I hear about an event coming up where I can play it. That's where, that's almost always where the deck starts for me. There have been, um, some exceptions, like, uh, the big red deck that I ended up playing at that, um, game day a long while back initially started out as a crappy gob- goblin deck before she would help fix it that I was building specifically for that event. Um, mm-hmm. but otherwise I start with a deck that, uh, I already have. And then I make sure to read up on, to read up on and be aware of, um, what's been going on in standard in a general sense to see if I need to make any alterations. Well, and don't you also, um, like go to FNM and kind of get a sense of how the deck works as well to, to see what works and what doesn't? Right. And that, that gives me a lot of valuable experience. Just going, just going ahead and sticking my neck out there and going to FNM, um, and learning through practical experience and trial and error how the deck plays the weaknesses it has um how it plays against specific other popular decks mm. and just just to see how it feels and to learn how to play it correctly that's that's a big part of of the of the technical prep work just going to fnm and practicing when you look at some of the most um i almost said powerful that's not the word i'm looking for when you look at some of the most um successful players in the game, the people that are consistently successful, names that you might recognize, um, they generally have one advantage that a lot of other people don't. And aside from, you know, money and time and things, you know, those, those are things that I think everyone can understand. Uh, but something that you may not really take into as much consideration is teams, and, you know, we're all, Mike has friends, we're all here to support him. I go to these things, people, uh, they support me as well. We loan cards to each other, which is something we'll talk about in a minute. Um, you know, so the resources aren't as big of an issue, but actually having an, a team of people that are just as invested in doing well as you are, that also have a knowledge of the format and have been playing for some time, um, to test with, that is a big advantage that, that you, I, I almost would say you really would need to have to play at the highest competitive level. I don't, it's not really a game anymore at this point in, uh, in history. What with the internet and all the magic online and all these other resources that are available, that it is possible to completely lone wolf. You just can't do it. You need to be able to have this support group of people that will help you figure out what is the best thing to play. Um, and so I'm not saying you need to do that at the local level. I think what Mike has said is exactly right. You know, if you don't have a large group of people you can test with, or if you don't have the time to test, you, what do you do? You go play magic and you play magic with other people that are trying to win, not just necessarily. If, if you take the deck 
with some exceptions, we talked about this last week with some of our, you know, first FMs and first tournaments. But if you take the deck that you've been playing casually by and large and you just assume that the uh, tournament metagame is going to be the same as your casual metagame, uh, you're most likely going to, most likely going to get, um, surprised. I remember, uh, the very first state championship I went to was actually held at DJ's. Uh, this was years ago. It was shortly after Mirrodin came out, the original Mirrodin. And I was there and August was there. I don't know if you remember August, anybody. Um, the blonde guy. And, yes. Yeah. And I have not seen him in years, but he was playing an affinity deck and this was before Ravager, but still he, you know, People had kind of caught on to the fact that you could play like a turn four brood star that was like a 10-10. And I brought my Underworld Dreams deck because it was the best casual deck that I had. And it performed generally very well. And, uh, in casual. And August took a look at it and he said, well, it's under the radar. <laughs> Which means <laughs> it's a very polite way of saying, well, you know, no one else is playing this. Which has its advantages, if you, but you, the, there's just so much known information out there at this point. You might very well have the one deck that no one else has thought of, but someone that's just playing better cards uh, can hopefully help you out with that, and that's one of the reasons that you test, and you test with friends, or you test at F&M, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Okay. I generally start with an idea as well, and I, I'm, it, for me, it can kind of vary. And sometimes I will be like, all right, there's a standard tournament coming up. I haven't been to a tournament in a while. This is something that I want to try and do, and I will start with the mentality of I want to build a deck for this event. And it's not necessarily one that I already had, and I'll kind of drop a list of ideas Um you know, maybe, you know, I want to do Cobblade or I want to do a Vencer deck or I want to do, you know, or do a, a popular deck but do a spin on it or I want to do something completely out of left field. But at least I know that going in. Um, and then sometimes I will test. If I can't go to FNM, I'll make proxies of some of the other decks that have won Star City Opens and I'll do my best to try and simulate those. And even if I don't play them optimally, I at least get a sense of what's in the decks and what what game state they need to achieve to win. Um, and, you know, put some thought into it. But uh, sometimes I'll start with the deck and sometimes I'll start with the tournament. What about you, know, you Mike or JT? I was about to say, one thing I admire about Brian's testing practices is that he will proxy up um, popular decks specifically to test the matchups against those. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times where I run into trouble is when I get into a matchup that I haven't played before or haven't thought about. So I just have to learn on the fly how to play the match properly. And it usually doesn't work in, in that very first match because I don't know what's going on yet. Well, and my system isn't entirely perfect either because, as I mentioned with regards to the Star City IQ that we went to in the round five, I played against a mono red deck. And I simply had no idea I'd be playing against a red a mono red deck that day. And so there's just... Um, 
there's just so many possible decks. I think sometimes you hear pro tour players bemoaning how open formats can be. And I get that because when it's kind of their job to do well, when they actually have financial resources depending on how well they do, it can be very frustrating to work with a great, try and work with a great deal of unknown information. For me, it's one of the reasons that I like playing in these environments where there isn't one dominant deck, where there isn't a Cawblade or an Affinity or a Fairies. We name these decks because they are so prevalent and so dominant, but the reality is there's not always that one deck. Mono Black is a great deck, but it can it can be defeated. Uh, white Blue or Mono White or, um, you know, there, there are lots of different options to take to <laughs> Mono standard. White can definitely be defeated. <laughs> <laughs> mono white and and white blue and mono blue. If I said mono white and yeah, but there's but there's all sorts of different options, and that's good. It can make testing frustrating though because you can test and test and test, and then somebody's playing a deck that you just either had no idea about or maybe it had dropped off the radar, or you know. So, and I think that's great, but just be aware that there's not really a way to test for everything. There's just not. Yeah. So, unless you have a really unless you have a big team. <laughs> yeah, which is again one of the advantages. Um I really feel like if if you're playing at the highest level and I don't mean like attending a PTQ or anything. I mean like consistently playing in pro tours, you have to have that as a resource. You just have to. Micro JT any thoughts? Um well, I'm the fact that I'll have a deck already. Um, like it'll either be, I saw a card that I want to build around or I saw a combo I want to try out. And so I'll actually build my deck and then start taking it to FNM and use that as my play experience and then tweak it from there. Um, so for me, most of my testing comes from the FNM because I a, don't have the discipline to, uh, proxy up a bunch of decks like Brian does. And I don't really get to play as much as I would like to. I, only get to play every week at FNM. Um, but what I like to do though is I'll watch a lot of the coverages, uh, that they actually do online for the pro tours, for GPs, things like that. And I'll use that to get a feel for what the metagame might be like. Granted, you're only seeing n number of rounds, um, or n number of matches played from, uh, so many, uh, tournaments just because that's they can only get one or two rounds on camera, uh, or one or two matches on camera per round at these right. tournaments. But they do give you a nice snapshot of what's being played and how they're being played. So that's one way that you can actually get the experience of how a deck is played. And you can sort of do a thought experiment on, well, how does my deck deal with this? Mm-hmm. Or how does my deck get around playing that? I know with, um, when Theros came out, I was, I started playing a blue right blue-white heroic deck, and I was like, all of my cards are multicolored, so how am I going to get around um, Storm Breath Dragon, how am I going to get around uh, what's the, the Hydra, Miss Cutter Hydra, and how am I going to get around um, Blood Baron of Copa? Because those are the ones that have protection from either blue or white, and since everything in my deck was multicolored, I needed some way to get around that. So that's mm-hmm. how I that's how I sort of develop my decks when I don't have enough time to actually play them, is going back, watching a lot of the coverages, um, and getting a feel for what everyone else is playing at those levels. Because people, even at the lower levels, do tend to imitate what they see being played at the higher level as well. Because they say, 
oh, um, Storm is a very popular deck. It te- it has very good cards and it tends to do very well in the hands of skilled players. Therefore, I want to play it. And then, therefore, when you know how those cards and those decks are played, it does give you give you a bit of an edge. Um, what people don't always take into consideration is how difficult some of these top-level decks can be to play and how skill-intensive they are. Mm-hmm. Something like Affinity, a uh, a blind dog with um, a Lou Gehrig's disease might still be able to beat you if it's playing Affinity. Can yeah, that was one of the... Uh, that was one of the problems... Um, the deck played itself to the extent that almost anyone could pick it up and just win all over the place. Whereas something like eggs, which is not <laughs> entirely possible anymore <laughs> because of certain manics, but if you didn't, if you just picked it up and you I mean, it's know, almost impossible to play correctly to begin with. <laughs> right. Even if you have the basic concept, you have to know every card in the deck and when is the best time to play every card in the deck and what every single one means for the board and what your opponent is like, how the opponent is likely to respond to it. If they have a response, you have to know all those things to play the deck. Um, one of the comments that's always made about mono red decks or mono burn decks or, or those sorts of, you know, aggressive decks is brain dead red because they're not seen as having as much thought process to them as like a control deck. And of course that can be completely wrong because a lot of the the decisions that a mono red or a burn deck has to make are just as important and just as situational as some control decks, maybe even more so because they don't always have the resources in the card draw um, that they don't always have the just situationally or, or the generally right plays to do. It's much more situational, Um, but it's got that misconception. And then sometimes it just is play everything in your hand, restock your hand, play everything in your hand. So, you know, but that can be any, any type of deck. Um, so getting to know your own deck, I think that could be the heading that we've been talking this whole time so far is once you've built the deck, get to know it and not just, you know, okay, I know there's four of this and three of this and maybe I want to play with those numbers, but actually play with it and get the feeling of how it plays because a lot of decks can look one way on paper and then you play them and, um, and you, play, <laughs> you, you play, you play them and you realize that this really isn't that great or you play them against a certain deck and you realize, Oh my God, I have zero ways of dealing with, uh, Desecration Demon, which is a problem because Desecration Demon gets played a lot. And it doesn't mean that every deck's gonna have it, but it means that you just have no way of dealing with it. It's one, it's one thing to say I have no way of dealing with one card, but if you're dealing with, you have no way of dealing with a card that's just about always a four of that's played in most of the good decks, you're gonna have a real problem. Do you have a way to deal with Pack Rat? That's kind of the question right now is, cause if you don't, have a way to deal with pack rat. Uh, you're gonna be frustrated a lot. So know your own deck and test your own deck. Now uh, a couple people mentioned that they wanted to hear us talk about like actually not just building the deck but like acquiring the cards specifically. Um, and I touched on this earlier, but 
don't feel like you have to go out and buy every single card for your deck unless you feel like you really need to. And even then, I have to caution you because, you know, when I was coming up with my deck, I had a list two weeks out, and then I had a different list a week out, and I was changing and changing and changing. And the morning of, I bought those cursor cursors of Cruffix, which I am very happy that I did. But if I had just said, went into the store and said, I'm going to spend $200 and get this list, and... I felt so committed at that point that I couldn't change it that I, then I would feel like I was locked in. And instead I worked on it gradually and I traded for a lot and I knew that I would be able to turn Mike and Chewy for some of the things that I needed. Um, so what I, I guess what I would start this off by saying is know your own resources, know how much you're willing to commit, especially if this is, you know, like an FNM or something, not to say it's not important, but, you may not want to invest as much as like a Grand Prix and then know what the resources of your friends are too and what they'd be willing to, to help you out with. Yeah. And, uh, and if you have some choices about what decks you could play, maybe take a closer look first at the one that you already almost own the whole thing. Yeah. If, if there is a clear difference from, from one to the other in that respect. If you know that you want to play either blue-white control or mono-red, um, and you own just about all the blue-white stuff, but you you really like how the red deck looks, but you're looking at the list and you're looking at what you think you need really to run it well, and really don't sell yourself too short because some things are just better than others, um, there's a difference between being unique and being just inefficient uh but you just don't have some of the really basic things it takes to work like if you feel like you really have to have chandra's phoenixes and you don't have any and you definitely know that you have to have um i don't know uh star storms this is a weird format but whatever uh <laughs> and you don't have any and then you know that you're going to need four Chandra uh, Pyromasters because they just make the deck work. And every time you draw it, it's better. And you've got one. And you really need four. Then you should really be questioning, how committed am I to that? And if this is really the one I, I want to play, how do I take the steps to getting what I need? Yeah. Yeah. In in the in terms of taking the steps <laughs> to get what you need, if you really do want to play that deck that you don't have yet... You can't be shy about trading away the deck that you know you are not going to play. Right. If you, if you really want, if you really want it. Yeah. And I've gotten a lot better about that specifically over the course of the years. And, the, and where, that's where I've finally been saying, uh, okay, I'm never actually going to trade these cards, so I'll stop. I'm never actually going to play these cards, so I'll stop saying no to people when they ask to trade for them. Yeah. I mean, and I think everybody feels a little bit of that too. And I've also kind of come to that same conclusion and kind of letting go. Like when I, when we were go, getting ready to go to a Star City Open toward the end of last year, and I knew I wanted to play Red Green Monsters, and I, I was trading away some of the stuff that I knew that I hadn't been playing with from some older sets and weren't in decks. I think very, very long and hard about trading away anything that's in a deck. But as far as trading things that are outside, I was like, all right, I'm, to get what I need and to not spend a lot of cash out of pocket, I traded away a fair amount of that stuff. And I had to say, this is the deck that I want to play as long as it's not going to completely bomb on me and I, I'm not willing to change it at the last minute. 
Um, I'm committing to that plan. Yeah. Uh, I went to a Star City Open back when, um, believe, uh, trying try to think, uh, but <coughs> it was sometime around Zendikar block and there was someone there and, okay, I know this is sounding kind of ambiguous. I just don't remember all the, all the faces <laughs> to this little play in my mind. There was this guy and he had it, this. It, Dead. It was kind of an acquaintance of an acquaintance. There was someone there that I knew kind of tangentially, and he had a friend that I didn't know at all. And that friend that I didn't know at all had basically purchased everything the week before to make um, a blue-white control deck. And he did, including buying several Jace the Mind Sculptor and some other – it wasn't Cobblade, but it was more the control aspect. Are you talking about and Adam? Maybe. Adam buying Jaces and all that other stuff to make the deck and then turning around and selling them. I think because uh, he he went a couple rounds and dropped and immediately sold back every he was he said he was so sick of the deck already he yeah. sold back everything was that Adam I don't that okay. that was totally Adam that also sounds like something Adam would do yeah also and, he needed the money to buy up to buy some more imperial recruiters for his deck for the legacy day on Sunday <laughs> right and so that's kind of short term you know. That, that's like day trading, but on the wrong side, because you're paying more up front and then getting less back for it. Uh, he, here's a little tidbit. Store owners are not the devil, but store owners are in it to make money. So when what you have that? a, when it is, it is money is any system of currency which can be exchanged for goods and or services, uh, usually backed by some form of government surety. Um, so you have a card, and let's just say it's quote-unquote worth $5. Uh, not sure what that really means to anybody because you go to a store owner, and they look in your binder, and they point out that card, and you say, how much will you buy that for? And they say, $2. And you're like, sure, I could use the $2. And they take it, and they put a sticker on it that says $6. That's how the system works. They're going to charge you less. To, they're going to give you less money for it so that when they turn around and buy it, they make a profit. And a profit is any amount of money over the amount of money they had to spend on it so that they can then, you know, pay people to work for them and they can buy food for their families and that sort of thing. Again, not evil, just the way the system works. So you need to be aware of that. <laughs> Yeah, I know Chewie sometimes jokes about Randy being a crook, but he's not a crook in the sense that he's out to get you. He just wants your money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, I, I keep saying he's an honest crook. Right. So, you know. Actually, Brian, you said something just now that, um, I really did want to bring up. Uh, I'm you sorry. said that he, you said that he had, um, sold the deck partially because he was sick of playing it already. And I think that's something you have to be really aware of whenever you're trying to get cards mm-hmm. is whether or not you will actually enjoy playing this deck because you're investing all this money into it. I mean, you probably want to play it for a while. Yeah. And if you just go out and purchase everything and it turns out you don't like it, mm-hmm. you're not going to want to play that deck anymore. So right. you're going to want to. Just like start over from scratch and you're yeah. out however much money you spent on it and uh, minus whatever you get back from the store. Yeah. So making sure you actually enjoy playing the deck, not only will it save you money, it'll actually save you a lot of heartache, heartache when you're actually playing because when you lose with the deck that you build and you enjoy playing, it's so much more manageable 
and so much more fun than when you lose with a deck that just ends up like you end up hating. Mm-hmm. And to be yeah. fair, like Mike said, there, uh, if he's remembering this correctly, and I have no doubt that he is, uh, he actually needed some money for cards they need for the next day. But still, at the same time, your point is exactly correct. And like, you know, when I was getting things together for the monstrous deck, I was getting things like Stormbreath Dragon, which I liked, and Xenagos, the original one, because I was, I loved him, and I knew no matter how I did in the tournament, he was going to go in decks, and I was going to play him forever. So it, it's good to have that in mind. Yeah, we mentioned last time in when we're talking about tournaments and going to your first ones and what you should play that you should play something that you enjoy because it makes the whole thing much more well enjoyable and much more manageable. So. Right. Um, there are actually two other things I wanted to mention about acquiring cards, though. Um, like, you said that you had traded for a lot of those cards. You had talked to the rest of the guys and seen what they had. Um, for traded, people, borrowed, yeah. Right. For people who don't actually have that option, who uh, sort of just, like I do, play on play at FNMs, if you can't make it out to the actual uh, card shop to see what they have, or if they just don't have what you need... There are other ways to do it besides just buying cards. Like the way that I get all of my cards, pretty much, are from doing online trades on uh, certain websites. Um, I know, like MTG Salvation has the trading community. Certain websites. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that didn't sound uh, shady at all, did it? No. <laughs> um, the but like the one that I use is um, one called uh, Pojo, and basically what you do is you just put up a list of what you have and what you're looking for, and you can get a lot of trades done that way. I've built probably 99% of all of my decks by doing that. It takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of time because you're sending through the mail, but like it's a really good way to uh, like spread out beyond just what your own physical contacts are and Mm. getting a much larger selection of uh, everything else. I honestly had not heard of that. So I I feel like I've actually learned something here today. I don't mean, I don't mean that in a sarcastic sense. I mean, I think that's actually great. Yeah, Isn't so. Puka Trade something similar to that? Yeah. Um, the only reason I know is because like there are some members on the website I use that uh, are part of like all the different like trading communities. So, but yeah, that is one that's come up. Um, MTG Salvation is the biggest one, and then the one I use, like I said, is Pojo. Um, yeah. If any of you guys are, if any of the listeners are actually on Pojo, I'm the one sin. So if you if you use that, I probably already traded with you. I do. <laughs> I do want to say this, and this is just not knocking what he is saying. I do, my note would be one of caution. Make sure you're, you know what service you're doing this through and make sure you kind of know what you're expecting to get out of this. Um, I read an article some time ago, probably a couple of years ago by an author on Star City Games and he talked about an experience he had where he met another player, I think through Magic Online, but it was certainly through some online service and they got talking about brainstorming, uh, a deck idea. And, some and they were online talking- service. Well, I mean, I read the article a couple of years ago, so I'm, I'm not gonna, I can't pull the name out right now. But in any case, this was not someone that he knew from his town or anything. Uh, they lived in very different areas and they were brainstorming decks idea, they, decks together. They seemed to really hit it off creatively. And, um, in a show of faith, this author mailed some cards to the other gentleman with the, uh, understanding that they would be sent back or something of equal value would be sent back and boom, 
never heard anything from him ever again until by chance, like a year and a half later, they get paired together at a tournament. And that was um, awkward to say the least. But so, you know, just just being aware is you have to be aware. We, we have all these danger things. Try being a parent in this day and age and you hear all these scary things about what kids can and can't do on the Internet. And just, you know, have some self sense of self-preservation here. Know what you're getting into. Know whether this is a trade service or buying or make sure you basically know, again, know what you're, what you're getting into there and don't trust people that you don't know. I know that sounds harsh, but Ryan is also extremely overcautious and a lawyer. So, you know, well, I'm also. I'm just trying to be on the safe side. Just like we talked about last week, don't leave your stuff lying around at a magic tournament. Ooh. And JT pointed something out about that in the forums. Oh. <laughs> remember the time Brian lost his... Yeah, uh, I remember that. His fabric oh. box in my bag. Because <laughs> I picked it up. Because they were like, you need to move. So I just threw stuff in my bag and walked away. And I was like, dude... <laughs> Brian were like, where are my decks? Oh, my God. <laughs> I had like three EDH decks in there that were all... You know, I put lots of time into them. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm thinking about all the stuff that's in those. And you're like, is it this one? I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um but- but yeah, Brian, you actually bring up a really good point, which um, if you're trying to use an online trade service, I would look for one that actually does have some kind of like reference system, kind of like eBay or um, Cardshark has like their references, uh, things like that, where the way like like I keep saying, like I use Pojo. The way that Pojo works is you get a reference from someone once you've completed a trade and like everything goes smoothly or whatever. And the way it works is the person who has the lower number of references will be required to send out first because the person with the higher number of references actually have a higher reputation. So they're a little bit more protected. So you do have to take a bit of a risk whenever you are sending through the mail because A, they they could just get lost, but B, you could be sending and the person could just try and rip you off. But if you're trading with people who have high references, you can be pretty certain that they're not going to rip you off. They will make every attempt to get uh, what's what you deserve to you, right? Because in the long run, then that that's what's most important to them is maintaining that reputation. So and that's that's great. And like I said, I, I wasn't trying to knock what you were using. I my only note of caution is just know this sort of thing. Know right. what's the expectation when you're signing up. So yeah. I think that sounds great. I had never heard of this before. Yeah, like I said, it's it's pretty much what I use almost exclusively, and it it saves you a ton of money because you're not going out and buying everything. Mm-hmm. That right. is excellent because none of us have ever done that to my knowledge, so we wouldn't have even remotely thought of that. No, there you go, <laughs> JT. You're awesome. <laughs> I, I, did trade with, I did a trade with one of our listeners not too long ago. Oh, that was Mish, right? Yeah, and, and he, he wanted a uh, necro, and I wanted um some temples, so we made a trade. Yeah. In case, in case you're noticing. Uh, you're picking up on the fact that at no point have we said, just go out and spend the money. Hell yeah. Um, that's kind of because, ev- like we said last week about everyone has different motivations for going to a tournament. Everyone has different expectations. Well, everyone also has different resources. And there are some people that have a fairly large amount of um, uh, extraneous income and they can put it toward this. And I, that's fine. I'm not, not, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm using that phrase a lot. I'm not saying that that's bad, uh, but I'm we're jealous, coming, but we're coming, 
we're coming from the perspective that we can't just walk in and say, all right, here's $300 or more these days. Here's $400. Give me every card that I need and just buy it without having to consider what's already in your, um, what's already in your collection, what your friends have, et cetera. So we're kind of, I mean, if you have that money, that's pretty much all it takes is you just buy them. Uh, um, but I would all, if you have that money, just stick to modern and legacy. But, um, (laughs) but so, so what we're talking about is kind of when you're in a more difficult position. And of course, if you've got the money, you should always explore these other options first as well. Cause you know, save your money. That's probably how you got it in the first place. But, um, we're, we're talking more about, you know, when that's not really an option for you. And that doesn't mean that it has to be a barrier to you. It just means that you have to be more creative. So friends are good. Uh, online services that you can trust are good. Just know what you're getting into. Uh, and then knowing how to work with store owners and, and that sort of thing and trading uh, away what you don't need to get what you need is all, all good stuff. So... Just make sure that you write down the right deck list, because like we said last time, <laughs> don't write down the wrong deck list. Deck registration errors are the most pointless and stupid of all game losses. And 100% avoidable. Uh, or just play limited. And still write down the right deck list, but uh, <laughs> you, don't to, you don't have to worry so much about card acquisition. Just have to worry about sleeves. So, I've been really quiet during you this have. part of the episode, because I have nothing to add. What but, do you uh, want to add? Well, track? like my method for this, so I, I've done standard tournaments several times. Uh, the most recent one, I don't even remember what it was, but it was, hey, Mike's got two decks, give me one. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a, that was another game day of some sort. Yeah. The, uh, the one before that, Mike's got a deck, but Mike can't play. Hey. <laughs> Uh, let me borrow your deck. I'll play. <laughs> so, like, as as they, uh, I forget which one of them. I think it was Mike kept saying last week. I don't play in constructed events, but when I do, I do pretty well. But I just don't have like all of these things that they're talking about sound great. You know, trade for stuff and use the online thing and you know pick some stuff, whatever. I just don't have time or interest in putting the effort into acquiring the cards. You so, um, you built that Killing Wave deck. I built a Killing Wave deck because I had almost all of it already. Uh, I had to go one of the to the first things we touched on. Yeah. Yeah, I had to go to top deck and I picked up some small handful of cards. I had to buy all the blood artists. For some reason I had no blood artists. What, what the hell is that? But it was just a small handful of cards that weren't terribly expensive, so I was like, ah, screw it, I'll just go buy it. But that's the only time I've ever done that ever. And look, uh PCQ top eight. But <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> but because I am broke and strapped for time, because, you know, I've got the two shows plus all of our expansions that we're trying to do now, uh, I, I personally don't have time to do it and that's okay with me. But when I do get a chance to play, I, you know, if Mike has a deck or something, you know, I'll jump on it and be like, yeah. yeah. So it's, I don't it always possible. play standard, but when I do, but when I, I do, I borrow Mike from deck, deck from Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, it could be that you're like me and you're actually not capable of getting these cards. There's still ways to go play. <clears throat> so, I'm just the, what am I here, the the outlying, I'm the outlier here, <laughs> is what I was trying to say. So, yeah. I don't, like, the only cards I have from Theros Block 
are the cards that I got at the Theros pre-release. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. So trying to play standard right now would be real expensive. Or, <laughs> hey, Mike, you playing this week? Can I borrow Mazes in? Or, hey, Brian, <laughs> you still got that John deck? Just run over there real quick. <laughs> <laughs> that John deck does look like a lot of fun, by the way. Thank you. The whole so, list is now up on the website. It is for both of them. But so that's that's a way to get the cards. What about what about knowing which cards to get? Well, part of that is kind of doing your research. Part of that goes back to playing your deck and saying, well, this card that I thought was great is not that great. For example, when I was running earlier versions of the John deck, I had um four Elvish Mystics in because they're that turn one acceleration and it turned out that there just was not that much stuff I had to reach on turn two that I couldn't wait until turn three. Plus I had all these lands that were coming tapped. I had four set four uh four red green trample temples and four uh black red temples and uh shock lands and um I think one or two guild gates. Nah, I'm not sure those made it in. But um so I have all these things. So until I played it, I didn't really know how instrumental they were, and then I ended up switching them out for um Sylvan Caritids, which didn't die to removal nearly as easily, fixed my mana so much better, and accelerated me to turn four, which was huge, just huge, because that's when I landed a Mogus or a Chandra or a Guild, which then further accelerated my mana, and while removing something, Guild is still awesome. And all these things that I did not know until I was playing the deck. So how you know about what to put in is you start with the basic idea, but then you play it. Uh, and then, like we said before, you know, kind of have some sense and a budget for knowing when you're going to have to add things. And don't, if you, if you go in and like a week before, you've already bought your whole deck and you don't have any room to take out anything else and you're kind of locked in, just be aware that that may not be how you feel the morning of. So that's, <clears throat> That's when you're pretty far into the process. If you're, like, say a listener listens to this and they're like, you know what? I'm going to go to an FNM. Crap, now what? Like, what if so they don't when have anything? You're just starting out. Yeah, what if they don't have anything, any standard ideas, they don't have any decks? Like, what, what should they do? Well, how I, st- and I'm sure this process is different for everybody. Exactly. Um, how I would start is, and JT mentioned this, um, if there's a particular card that I want to build a deck around or a particular concept, what I'll do is I'll actually take a sheet of paper out, old school style, and I will list those cards. And then I will start thinking, and I'll start listing, these are cards that go with this theme. Like, let's say I'm building a Vincer deck, uh, the Planeswalker, not the creature. And so I'm going to start thinking about these are creatures or permanents with enters the battlefield effects. And then I'm going to start thinking... These are ways to protect Venser and then start thinking these are ways to uh, deal with things that I can't already deal with and kind of go down the list. And I'm going to end up with a huge list, one that is not practical uh, for anything probably other than EDH deck. Um, one that, you know, I'm not going to end up spent, uh, spending a whole lot of mo- money on necessarily, but <clears throat> one that gives me the broadest idea possible and then I start narrowing it down. And as far as how you determine how to narrow that down, well, part of that is based on what I already have. And then part of that is also what would be best 
what do I think would be best in the deck? And part of that is a judgment call. And sometimes I'll start out with something on the list and it won't make it in the deck. And after a little bit of testing, I'll look at that list again and go, you know, this would really be great. Or I'll actually change the central focus if I'm just really not getting there and I'll have to kind of think things over. So that's kind of my process Word. for when I don't already have a deck put together. How about you, Mike? Like you said, for instance, your your big red deck started out as a crappy goblin deck. Yeah, and I started out as a crappy goblin deck because um, mm. I knew that I had uh, a bunch of goblin stuff and because I was impressed <laughs> with how, how well um, – my goblin deck from the previous year had done on just the one day that I had it together at the deck and played it. Right. Um, but, uh, for the most part, I'll either, I'll either get the idea from a deck I already have and wondering about whether I could build a deck like that for standard based on what's available. Or I'll see someone, you know, you know, that's, that's where I get the, oh, look, you know, lightning bolt and incinerate and goblin grenade are illegal at the same time. I'm going to play a goblin deck. You know, uh, or uh, or I'll see someone else um, play a card that I think is cool, and I'm like, whoa, my opponent just killed me with nickel bolas. I want to kill people with nickel bolas. You know, um, or you're the guy. Yeah. <laughs> or holy crap, someone is playing a Maze's End deck at the Pro Tour. I am so going to rub this in Clues' face. I'm going to play You know, something like that. But but other times I'll 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 uh, sometimes in my spare time um, when I don't have when I don't feel like playing a video game or reading something uh, I'll just sit and look through my cards like I keep all my rares in binders and I keep my standard uncommons in a binder so I'll just sit with the, with the standard rares and flip through the pages and see what I have and think and think and think and think. And then I'll look through all the uncommons for standard that I have and just sit there and think about stuff, you know, and, uh, and come up with ideas. And sometimes it's because, okay, I just bought 40 haunted plate mails. I'm going to play them in a deck. <laughs> sometimes meaning that one time. Yeah, that one time. <clears throat> but that was also because, hey, mutilate and corrupt are going to be legal at the same time for a couple months. Let's do this. Yeah. You know, and that deck was a blast to watch. It was, it was so fun. It was so much more fun than it was successful. And that's that's a key. See, that's a win for Mike. Yeah. Because, you know, as we keep saying, everyone plays for different reasons. So, yeah, there's, there's a big difference. At the end of a losing game, there's a huge difference between the, oh, man, I lost, and the, this deck blows. <laughs> so, like, for instance, what, that was the Steel Necro deck, right? Yes. And I, I remember <laughs> the genesis of that deck came from, hey... Uh, mutilate and what was the other one? Um, corrupt. Yeah, mutilate and corrupt are both legal and standard. Holy crap, let's make something. <clears throat> now, did you go from there back to the old, like, steel necro? Uh, well, I had, concept? I had always wondered whether it would be possible once I saw Haunted Plate Mail. I already had that idea stuck in my head. But then ah. when I realized that I could still be playing it alongside mutilate for a little while, that's when the, that's when the gears really started turning. Okay, so steel necro is the name of an old deck from, oh, geez, like a million years ago. Real long time ago. You know, back when um, back when Ice Age Block and Mirage Block were both legal at the same time. Yeah. And that idea was Necropotence and Steel Golem. And yeah, whatever, Steel, whatever. Golem, Steel Golem is pretty much the only creature in your deck. For, for three mana, it's a 3-4 artifact creature, and it says you can't cast creature spells. 
Yeah. So meanwhile, your deck is just full of removal and card draw and steel golem. And so he took that idea, that concept, and built a and looked around standard and built a, a deck that did the same thing with all the new cards instead of all the old cards. Yeah. For for my removal, <laughs> I had um uh, I had mutilate. I splashed red so I could play uh, dreadbore and magma quake. Um, and in place of necro, I played underworld connections. Yeah. Which is so. Awesome. <laughs> uh, that's that's definitely one way. Like Brian uh, does it his way that he just explained. Yep. Mike does it that way. I the like I said the one time that I built the deck, somebody I don't even remember where I saw it. Somebody tweeted, "Hey, kamikaze deck." And I'm like, "What the hell is a kamikaze deck?" So I clicked on it and I read it and I was like, "This is great!" And I went and built it. So. I am I am the worst kind of net decker. <laughs> it was someone it was someone with one of those weird internety nicknames. Like for some reason like I know this was not the internety nickname but for some reason the syllable scooge sticks out in my head and that is totally not correct. Oh, it was Oh, it was, it was Jesse Smith. What the hell? Yeah, Smitty. 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 Okay, that is definitely not yeah. like scooge. It's <laughs> totally playing a Smitty. De- wow, it's bad that I forgot it was a Smitty deck. Thank you, Brian. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm here to do. <clears throat> but uh, there's also the the net deck approach where you see a deck that you 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 look at it and you're like, wow, that looks like a blast, and I bet it wins. And then you build it, which is basically what I did that time. But uh, that's what that's what a lot of standard is right now. There's the three big decks, mono blue. Well, there were the three big decks: mono blue, mono black, and blue white control. And then there were all of the others. You know, the, the green red monstrosity and the, uh, the, uh, the mono red splashing white and the mono white splashing red and the, the, the green colossus thing. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And there were just, and you, anytime the black white mid range deck was one that clues and I really like. <clears throat> so, oh, yeah. and we kept saying, you know, whenever we'd see it in a top eight list, really, you know what? If I was going to play standard, this would be the type of deck I play because this looks awesome. And there is absolutely no shame in that. We tend to not do that because we're casual players, and that's just not who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it is entirely possible to just go, hey, this deck looks cool, and I've got X amount of it, and then you can use all the methods to get the cards that we just talked about. Yeah. Or there's, like, we were talking about, on Monday Night Magic, we were talking about the modern uh, top eight, and several of these decks are, <clears throat> excuse me, several of these decks are the like old school versions of the deck with some new twists like uh you know the uh the the twin decks Splinter Twin, Kiki Jiki, yeah. uh yeah. Deceiver Exarch and Pestermite. Well there's always been uh the blue red version because those are the two colors you need. There's the blue white red version. Yeah, that plays like for the the bell toller guy. Yeah. Uh not anymore, no. No, it doesn't use a bell toller, it uses a restoration angel. Oh, yeah, Restoration yeah. Angel, and it gives it more removal, Lightning Helix, Path to Exile, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And there was another one. There's always been three versions of Twin, it seems. Oh, then there's the straight, like... So there's the blue-red one that's the straight combo. That's all it's trying to do, is get the combo off. Mm-hmm. Then there's more of a blue-red control version that has the combo in it. Then there's this white-blue-red one that has the different removal and the Restoration Angel. And then uh, Patrick Diekmann brought a Tarmo Twin... Which is a twin deck that instead of white, it has green. So he can now have the combo and the control elements 
and freaking Dermagoyf, because why yeah. not? Because yeah, why and, not? And Death yeah. Ray Shaman and Scavenging Ooze. And... Well, except Death Ray Shaman's banned now. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm dumb. You're dumb. And Scavenging Ooze is in the deck, too. Yeah. And if you read the report, they... The interviews they did with him was basically just, yeah, I just want Tarmogoyf to, in case the, the combo doesn't go off, and he could sideboard out <laughs> the combo, which is something that most of those decks... Most of them do, yeah. I think yeah. he did sideboard it out during one of the matches in the uh, semifinals. Oh, yeah. Mo- most of the time, the combo does actually get sided out, because uh, we had uh, Doug Lynn on Monday Night Magic, and he explained that the combo is there, like, the the, the combo is in the deck to keep your opponent in check. Yeah. I use the example, you know, you can have uh, Peyton Manning that can throw bombs down the field all day, but you have to have a running back who's going to keep the defense honest. Yeah. So you've got to have the guy who's on the ground trying to punch through, so they have to divert some of their attention to stopping the run so that Peyton Manning can be free to throw the ball. And right. that's that's what the, the, the twin deck uh, does. The combo is there to keep your opponent honest, and they have to be aware that you can just win. Like, yeah. and, I, and I win. So they have to always, always, you know, keep an eye out for that. And you can do other stuff. <laughs> right. As long as right. the threat of I'm going to win. And and even if your opponent has a strong feeling that you've sided out the, the combo, they can't just not side in for it because then they're going to look so stupid if mm-hmm. you didn't sign out the, if you didn't side it out. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, I got off track the topic here, but the whole point is they took a, a shell of a deck that works, the, the blue red twin, and they added something new. Mm-hmm. The, um, like the blue moon deck that made so much. Oh my god. That, that was, was amazing. That was, really that was awesome. Yeah. This, yeah, this, yeah. this mono blue, Basically mostly mono blue. It, it splashes red for, uh, blood moon and lightning bolt. Yeah. Uh, which was totally a, uh, a metagame call. Yeah. And it's amazing. But he took, I mean, it's essentially a blue control deck that has Blood Moon in it to, Blood Moon, for those that don't know, is an enchantment that turns all non-basic lands into basic mountains. Yeah, it's great. And in modern, which is all non-basic lands, a single Blood Moon can just win you the game while your opponent goes, uh, uh, draw go. Yeah, I can't play things go. So. Yeah. So this this guy looked at the format and goes, you know what? I could build a deck that can beat that. And he finished in the top eight. So you know, whatever. Yeah. The only he stumbled a bit in the top eight because his opponent was um, by the time he got it out, and in, in at least the first match, uh, first game of the match, it was too late, and the guy was able to still get his uh, his stuff together. But his opponent was actually playing a higher percentage of basic lands than most of the other players at the tournament. So he it didn't capitalize on him the way it did on everybody else. Yeah. But but lest we think, oh, well, clearly that wasn't a good choice, we're talking about a pro tour, not even a Grand Prix, a yeah. pro tour, and he made it to the top eight. Not finishing first is not a yeah. not a detriment. But I'm sure. so yeah, okay, you're, we, you're not a, you're not a big stupid failure if you just place you know seventh or eighth instead of winning the whole thing. Oh <laughs> darn. Yeah. But again, like I said, we got off topic, but the whole point is here, there are so many ways to come up with a deck. <clears throat> you can just find a deck you like and build it. You can find a deck you like and tweak it for yourself. I know Brian has done that in the past. Oh, yeah. He's like, hey, this looks really cool, but I'm going to do this instead. And he puts the Brian in it. A, a Cobblade, taking a Cobblade deck to a tournament where it splashed 
uh, black for some removal and Phyrexian um, Crusader because there's nothing better than a Phyrexian Crusader holding a sort of feast and famine. Yeah, there, I are, there are a few things. Promise you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, when you when you're trying to figure out what to do, you can. There are any number of ways to do it. Like JT, how how would you, how do you come up with a new like standard deck? Um, I have two main ways. Um, like right now, I'm actually working on a modern Merfolk deck, and it's the first time I've actually looked at sort of a shell of existing decks and tried to tweak it. But the main two ways I do it is I'll either do like Brian does and come up with uh, like what card interests me or what combo interests me. Like my Deadeye Navigator deck that I'm known all over the boards for. Um, that started out as a Soulbond deck because like Soulbond had just come out with Abyssinus Sword and it looks super interesting. And I actually loved Windcrafter and I loved um, Near Heath Pilgrim. And so I was like, okay, like you can either give something flying, give them lifelink, or they work great together. And so I started out with that, and I was like, oh, that navigator allows you to reset, reset them. And so I built that deck. I built a, a blue white soulbond deck, which led me down the road to dead eye navigator and like how, whatever that became. But my other main way of doing it is that I'll actually take a look at what is about to rotate out of standard. Um, one of my big things when I'm building a deck is I actually like to build budget decks because if you couldn't tell from my comment before about Brian saying if you have a lot of money, uh, go ahead and buying everything, and I said just stick to Modern Legacy, I'm not a huge fan of Standard because of the fact that you're going to invest so much money into it for everything to rotate out and lose its value. That's why mm-hmm. I like Modern and the Eternal formats better because like, unless, short of a reprint, nothing's going to lose its value uh, all that often. Right Now... So I'll tell myself, like, I have, like, no card in my deck, with a few exceptions, can be over X amount of dollars. And so what I'll do is I'll actually look at what's rotating out of standard and trying to build a deck from that restriction. Because at the towards the end of standard, everything that was worth a lot during like, when it first came out is down to an absurdly low number. Like, yeah. when uh, Scars of Mirrodin came out, Seacrum Coast, the blue-white Fastland, uh, was, like... $25 a piece at one point. At the end of standard, like the last three months before it rotated out, I picked up an entire playset for $20. Nice. So I'll try and actually build with a restriction that lets me play a cheaper deck. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'll stick to something that's about to rotate out of standard because that's where there are a lot of good cards, but they're not being valued where they usually are because everyone's trying to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's actually where Probably the most, the one deck I've had the most fun playing besides my Dead Eye Navigator deck was a blue white tempered steel that used Grand Architect just ramp out a ton of artifacts all at once. Uh. And the the whole reason I built that was because I could I could get Sword of War and Peace for ten bucks because it's about to rotate rotate out. I can get the Seacrum Coast for twenty dollars for the whole playset. So that's smart. Yeah. So like I like building with restrictions, and I'll try and focus around what will allow me to play a really good deck while adhering to that restriction. Sweet. So yeah, restrictions like, breed creativity is one of Rosewater's favorite phrases. And, and I, I think absolutely it's right. believe it. Yeah. People think that when something is completely wide open, I'm not saying, you know, 
just you know wide open and you have lots of choices, but completely wide open that you're going to be more creative. But the truth of the matter is, it is so much freedom; it's actually overwhelming. And when you start focusing a little bit, that's where you actually come up with your ideas. So, and what makes that even better is you're probably going to come up with a deck that is outside of like the typical metagame. And mm-hmm. when that happens, and you take that deck to an actual tournament. Most people have no idea how to play against it, and most people have no idea how to sideboard against it either. They immediately start putting it into a category that may or may not apply. Exactly. Like, when I, right after uh, Return to Ravnica came out, before Angel Serenity had that little spike she had, she was in my Dead Eye Navigator deck because those two were best friends, and um, I was playing it against another guy who was playing some, I think it might have been a Jun deck or something like that. And I told him, like, between games one and two without thinking that, oh, yeah, I, like, I built this deck because I love that at Navigator, so it's built around him. And so I literally told him that, and he had sideboarded in Slaughter Games, the um, one that allows you to name a card and yeah. uh-huh. all the copies are removed. Guess what he named with it? Slaughter Games. Wait, no. First, <laughs> uh, the Angel. Yeah, he named Angel Serenity and not Dead Eye Navigator, which was the combo engine. And I had just told him, my deck is built around Dead Eye Navigator. See, like, cause it was a deck that no one had seen and no one is, so everyone's like, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I sideboard? What do I prioritize? And so mm. you end up getting a lot more people, you catch them off guard, um, mm. when you're playing a random deck like that. Sweet. Dead Eye Navigator's dumb. The Angel's what actually hurts me. I'll just get rid of it. Pretty much. <clears throat> so, We've been at it for a while now. Do we have mm-hmm. do we have any more advice or ideas to throw out for this? I think that, um, I, like I said, and we've, we've kind of hit on this a couple times, everyone has different approaches, and I would caution people from saying that one is better or worse than others. I think terms like net deck get thrown around by people that want to pride themselves on creativity and that's fine but i don't think you should deride other people for their choices either some some people have different strengths and weaknesses and ultimately while deck building is an important part of the process it really comes down to how well do you play the game and how well do you do with what you've built so with that being said i i wouldn't ever say that neck decking is a really bad thing there as as jt was kind of alluding to with this last part there is a certain amount of satisfaction that comes from building something a little off the beaten path or something with your own spin on it and watching it do well but at the same time you have to put yourself in a position where it's going to do well um and i'm not going to say that winning is the only thing like we said last week everyone comes into these sorts of things tournament kitchen tables, what what have you, with different goals and different perspectives. As long as you kind of keep that in mind and keep in mind what is your perspective, and don't just have that in mind when you go to the tournament, but even when you start to build the deck, um, then I think you're going to get a, a more rewarding experience out of it. Yeah, there's, well, uh, there's, like, like Brian said, there's there's nothing inherently wrong about just taking a, a list completely from, from some other source. I think maybe for... For players with a much um, with a much more robust casual background, there's an extra bit of honor and satisfaction, like Brian said, in building a deck because in in the casual setting you're constantly trying to you know outsmart, outwit, and outweird all your opponents. Um, uh, it's true. Trying, 
yeah, trying trying to put together whatever you can come up with based on you know what are pro- what in many cases are limited resources and a limited collection. But there's and and some people do get kind of snobby about others who who net deck and look down on yeah. them for it. But there's nothing really wrong. Which with it. in our younger years we were really bad about that. <laughs> yeah, we were. Uh, no. we were. Well, I think every player can be from time to time. I I just think it's a matter of understanding, accepting. Uh, other players and and their choices as far as what they want to play, um, but I think Mike's right too in the difference between the formats. You go to a tournament and you're playing a version or or the same deck as a very popular deck. That's fine. I mean, you know, if I'm playing against it, I should be preparing for it, even if it's not my favorite matchup. I have to at least expect it. Um, and you know, but. When you're, you take that same mentality and you apply it to a casual deck, you sit down and like three, three, uh, minutes in, everybody's like, oh, it's that deck again, or it's another one of those decks. You know, it has a very different feeling to it. It's like, oh, you can come up with anything better than that, or you kind of get eye rolls like, oh, it's another Yurio deck or something. So. It, it, the the background there is very important. Like, um, crap! I just lost my train of thought. Uh-huh. Oh, um, <laughs> okay. So I'm actually the type that I would always say that like I hate net decking. I but the thing is I don't hate the people that net deck. I'm the type of person like Brian said. I do get that satisfaction from having my own deck, something that I built. But like I alluded to at the very beginning of that little um, rant I went on, I actually have started looking at other people's decks and looking at deck shells because there's just sometimes that a deck that you want to play has been played before and people have tested a lot of it. And so you get some good ideas from their shell. You can still tweak those and put your own spin on it, but it's so, it's sometimes you have to be open to the to other ideas of what your deck can do. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, which is, like when I... Oh, let's keep going. Oh, sorry. Um, which is why, like, if you do take a deck of yours to a tournament, and you, if it's something that you've built um, yourself, rather than, like, looking and seeing what's popular or what's really strong in, like, right now in the metagame, maybe have some people look at it, and they'll give you an idea of where to go with it next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, if... Even if even if you do prefer building your own decks and you're not too hot on the net decking as a concept, using other people's deck lists can be a very valuable resource. Like when I built the Maze of Zen deck, I started with, okay, let's look at a list of someone who actually knows what he's doing and and then figure out what I want to do from there. So I looked at Kenny Oberg's list from the Pro Tour and said, okay, got it. You know, this is built and tested by someone with some measure of intelligence. Now what do I want to do differently? You know, or like when I built my um, black green Tron deck, I'm like, okay, I went to Charles Gindy's red green Tron list from several seasons ago, and I'm like, okay, got it. So what do I want to do differently here, and how do I go about doing it without breaking, you know, the important, <laughs> the important things that actually hold the deck up and make it work? You know, and, and that takes that takes a fair amount of learning in and of itself, um, it, especially when it comes to trying to figure out how to unbreak something that you broke without realizing you did yeah. it at first. Because sometimes you look at a list and you're like, oh, why doesn't this have 
this obvious card that clearly should be in here as a four of. And then you take out something else that you're like, I don't get why this is here. And you start playing and you're like, oh. Um, yeah, you're like, why does the land base suck so much? What? To- oh, oh, I took that. Yeah, the, the mana base. Don't like, ever. Why am I never throwing my threats? I'm like, oh, because the threat base in this deck is specifically made to work with these drawn filter effect. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Mm. I don't know if we touched on this last week, but when you're building your deck, you can skimp on some things. Mm. What things is entirely dependent on what you're building. Don't ever, ever skimp on the mana base. Ever. I promise. I don't care if it's a mono blue deck or a four color good stuff. Uh, and obviously some are more require, requiring, requiring of a good mana base than others. But even like a mono deck, if you're playing a mono color deck, you probably should be playing a Mutavault. Why? Because Mutavault is such a good card. Because it's a creature that does have sorcery speed removal that also takes up a landslide and produces mana. These are why it's and if you're only running one color, you'd really have to try and explain to me why you shouldn't be running it. But it's expensive, so maybe I should skip on it. Maybe I should get this other thing that's really important for the deck. Maybe, but your every other card that you're putting in instead is not a muta vault, so you have Good. to justify that. <laughs> and, so. and when it and when it comes to and when it comes to multi lands, you know. If you have to make substitutions, make substitutions in the main deck before you try to make, you know, dodgy substitutions in the mana base. Because if you have that solid mana base, you'll at least be able to play the stuff that you have in the main deck. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, constantly fighting to play the good main deck cards that you had because your mana base just can't do it. You can have the best cards in the world in your hand, and if you can't cast any of them, you're gonna yeah. lose to that turn one elvish mystic that you know, had no backup plan. You're, you're just, <laughs> you're, you're just gonna lose if you can't cast your spells. That's just how magic works. And there are other, uh, places where something looks like it doesn't make sense. So again, going back to the modern top eight here, uh, the affinity deck that made top eight, and I'll call it affinity because there's one card that actually has affinity in the deck. <clears throat> what? Uh, thought cast. There's actually wow. an affinity card in it, so I'm gonna call Holy it crap. Affinity. It's not just a robot deck. Yeah. But this guy has one uh, master master of Ethereum in the main and one in the board, and that's it. And I was like, really? And Doug explained that Etch Champion has become more and more of the go-to card for uh, the metagame in modern is because it's really hard to kill. <clears throat> and Master of Ethereum, to the ca- my casual mindset, it pumps all my dudes. <laughs> it pumps all my dudes. But... All your dudes don't matter as much as one guy that they just can't deal with. So at the three drop slot, they've started moving out of Master of Ethereum into, into Edge Champion. And that is, you've got to be deep in the metagame to know that stuff. I was mm-hmm. like, why would you not play Master of Ethereum, idiot? It, <laughs> it yeah. pumps all your dudes. <laughs> he, all he of them. Card. He read <laughs> this card, right? <laughs> so, like, yeah. like, I actually... Just getting back to like the deck shell, like if you're looking at someone else, someone else's deck list and that you see something that looks odd to you, maybe take a think about why it is that way. Like if there is just a random what if you're like, aren't there more positive? What else in the deck is synergizing with? What else in the deck is it compensating for? I agree. 
So if we covered this pretty well, I think. I think you think. It seems like it. If anybody pretty well uh, thinks we missed, there's it. always more to talk about. Yeah, if anybody thinks we missed something or has anything else, let us know. Send us an email. Uh, Post I say let us know. So everybody I mean, can see. Yeah, hit the forums or send us an email. Uh, I appreciate tweets, but those are ephemeral. If you tweet at me now, I will never see it again. <laughs> we got some pretty encouraging. Uh, we got some pretty nice emails from people who who said that even just listening to the last episode, they got encouraged to go out and try more, um, either try more or try their first uh, sanctioned competitive event. Which is awesome. Yeah. Who, uh, hang on, it's right here. No, it's not. Okay, I don't remember who sent that. <laughs> I don't have my email open right now. I don't feel like opening it up. But yeah. Clearly this means a lot to us. Hey, but. what the... <clears throat> I'm, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I kind of agree with Mike. I, I, they was they know how we are. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was at least one forum post where they were like, "Yeah, so awesome." Yeah. So, I guess with that, uh, like I said, if you if you think of anything else that we missed or you have any other questions, by all means, throw it at us, and we will try to uh, hit it in the next episode. But for now, I think that's enough. Uh, Scott made chili, so mm. there's, I mean, I already ate dinner, but I'm gonna have a little bit of chili because Scott made chili. So, uh, I think with that, we should kill it. So, do we have any final thoughts, Mike? Final thoughts. I'm looking forward to getting together with Chewie and Brian this Saturday. Yeah. Even though I don't get to go to game day. But this is more special. On, on, on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if they do a game day on Saturday, then someone will have already won the playmat and I won't be able to win it on Sunday, Brian. Well- I appreciate your, your <laughs> sacrifice. <laughs> sacrifice a play mat. Go play some magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited for that. Yeah. Uh have you put any more thought uh or done any more asking around about next weekend, Mike? Richmond. Richmond. Nah, I gotta call mom. Okay. You should probably do that soon. Yeah. Yeah, the weekend of um, GP Richmond is the weekend of my mom's birthday, and I don't know if she intends on doing anything over that weekend. Back at the house. Make sure you don't send a text like, dark. Yes, next weekend is mom's weekend, and we're, the whole family is getting together, so I will be able to go with you. <laughs> that might be uh, that might be misinterpreted. Right. Word? So how about you, B? Uh, my problem with Final Thoughts is always I have, I think of them like six days of the week and I'm like, I, I should mention this. And then I get to the day we record and I'm like, all right. And then I get to the end of the episode. I'm like, I don't know. Cause I'm tired and I'm a person and I'm, my brain is gone. Um, I had one or two things I wanted to mention. I, oh, oh, I did want to mention this a while ago. I started playing through Final Fantasy 10 again and, um, Sam was there when I started to play it, and she figured out. Well, I I I point out to her and to Carrie that uh, I could rename Titus and each of the Aeons. So that's been Sam's choice. So so far, Titus is Ariel, and um, which is uh, oddly appropriate. He swims a whole lot. It's true, and no one oh. they never really explain why he can swim underwater and not die. They just they just kind of leave that out there. And so he can play blitzball. Duh. Well, yeah. Anyway, Valathor or whatever its name is is Anna because she loves Frozen. 
a whole uh, lot. Um, are you guys take her to the sing along showings? No, no. <laughs> no. Right now she's she's trying to earn stickers on a chart to go see the Lego movie. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm really hoping that she gets there because it sounds awesome. <laughs> right? Um, Ifrit is named Reindeer, which is oddly appropriate because he's got lots of, you know, the horns uh-huh. and the antlers. Um, Ixion, the horse, is named, oh, what's he named? Uh, shoot. Um, oh yeah, Bell. <laughs> like, View <laughs> the Beast. And Shiva is named Elsa, which actually makes a lot of sense if you've seen Frozen. And Bahamut, my lovely Bahamut, is named Sven. Who is Sven? He's in he's in uh, Frozen. He's the reindeer, the name of the oh, reindeer. Okay. And we haven't gotten any further than that, but um, not sure what she's gonna name Anima or anybody else. <laughs> she's pretty good at that so far. So far, she that is hilarious. She she really wanted to name Ixion um, Elsa, and I'm like, no, we name it something else because I knew with Shiva coming up, I was like, you know, you need to, we need to save that one. So, <laughs> yeah, I I never change the the names of um, characters and and things and stuff like that, but yeah, it makes it easier to discuss it with other people. Yeah, yeah, Thomas Dude, says, Ariel <laughs> kicks so much butt, it's amazing. <laughs> But then, but then, like you'll get someone like uh, Gabe, who you know the names of all the characters in the Aeons turn into you know references to butts and dick jokes. <laughs> How did I know? I was gonna say name it butt for, yeah. <laughs> but I stopped myself. <laughs> yeah, Titus's name uh, got changed to Cockblock real quick. <laughs> Wait, is that his name or his job? <laughs> <laughs> I have to edit that. I don't think I will. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It's in the Bible. <laughs> I really, uh, I really don't know. Want to know what what the uh, class changes for that? <laughs> yeah, like the last time I played Final Fantasy One, I, I think the characters were named Chewy because I was playing the the PS One remake. It was like Chewy, Mike, Dark, Brian. So, damn it, Brian, stop dying, son of a That's bitch. Me. I mentioned how a while ago when I played the first Final Fantasy, I named everybody that because I, uh, and I, I think I talked about that already, so I'm not going to rehash it. But she, uh, Sam loved that. She's like, Chewy, there's Chewy. And every, uh, she kept wanting to know it when I beat the game, even watching the credits, she's like, where did Chewy go? And I'm like, it'll be okay. So. <laughs> Yo, say. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> so was was that it? That's it. Oh, okay. So, hey, JT, how about you? Um, just to wrap up, what we were talking about today. Um, I want to go back to something that Chewie asked me back at GP Charlotte. Um, I don't remember was, that. <laughs> if you listen to the live recording, um, at the very end, uh, right before Chewie wrapped up, he asked me if I thought there was a place for casual players at. Uh, GP level events, and my answer now is the exact same as it was back then. Absolutely. Um, even if you're not going to plan the actual event, there are so many side events going on that you'll find something you want to do. Uh, EDH uh, side events, draft, things like that. Um, there's a ton of people around just to meet and hang out with, do some trades, uh, play casual games with. There's so many vendors around that you can uh, pimp out any of the decks that you want to do. Um, like, I know I got a ton of foils for the one EDH deck I have that I try to foil out, um, things like that. So absolutely, like, 
go out and give it a try, and hopefully you can uh, work on actually playing in them as well. Um, but other than that, um, I don't really have anything. Uh, except thanks for having me on again. Um, I'm just probably going to go play Bravely Default now because that game is really, really addicting. Still just the demo? Yeah, still just a demo. But there's so much to do in it just <laughs> for being a demo. Nice. <laughs> yeah, there's... I said this after uh, GP Charleston, and then I said it many more times after uh, Charlotte. Just go to a GP. If there's one nearby, especially if there's one that's close enough to just drive to and hang out for a day, holy crap, you have no excuse to not go. <laughs> and they go, I got a wedding that weekend. Well, that's fine, I guess. But uh, the the GP experience is a thing that exists, <laughs> and everyone should experience it. There's in, invariably there's like the, the EDH corner where there's just people sitting around playing Commander. Like they the, these tables are ours, and we're gonna play here. And when there's a side event that comes on and needs these tables, damn it, we'll move. And now these tables are ours, <laughs> and you could just roll up and. Hey man, can I get it on the next game? And chances are, unless it's us, then yeah, you can. <laughs> no, you can play with us. It's cool. I probably won't be playing because I'm busy, but you know, everyone else will be, and they'll be fussing at me for not playing. <laughs> yeah, Chewie doesn't play at these events. He works. Yeah. He'll probably shove a recording in your face and ask you a few questions. Yeah, possibly three. <clears throat> and that brings me to my next uh, thing. It's entirely possible that I'll be going to GP Richmond. The problem is, that's next weekend, and I have no idea. So it's, uh, what are those dates? The uh, 7th, 8th, and 9th. Yeah, 7th, 8th, 9th. I've taken Friday and Monday off of work, or I put in for it. They didn't tell me yet, but screw them, I'm taking it anyway, because I'm going to quit soon. But <laughs> uh, I've taken Friday and Monday off so that I can be there Friday and then so I can recover Monday. Because like Mike said, I'm going to be working. If I go, I'm going to have the recorder and lots of batteries and be asking everybody dumb questions. So, uh, yeah. But uh, if anyone else is thinking of going to GP Richmond, by all means do, and by all means find me while you're there. Uh, Mike might go, possibly, maybe. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of the random community people. Clues will be there. Clues is on staff. <clears throat> and if you're not going to go to GP Richmond, then you should totally go to the Star City Invitational in Charlotte, at the end of March. The end of March, that's right. Sometime. Because... Uh, 28th, 29th, and 30th. There you go. Are those three days? Yeah, well, the Invitational is... Uh, the Standard oh, Open okay. is a normal one on Saturday, but if you're actually in the Invitational, you'll have to be there on Friday. I'll be damned. I did not know that. So, yeah. Uh, I'm fairly certain if we don't go for the whole weekend, I'm at least going to go for Saturday or Sunday. You know, one of the days, because it's right the hell there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when I mentioned it on Monday Night Magic, Bill was like, hey, you want to ride to Charlotte? So I guess Bill's going. And Clues will again be on staff. So all of your favorite local podcasters will be there. I'm hoping Jack will go to the Invitational because I haven't seen Jack in far too long. That's Jack Lacroix. Jack Lacroix from uh, Monday Night Magic. So, yeah. Do you still have all that Canadian chocolate or do you and Scott eat it? It's actually still here, but I, and Scott's holding it up actually as we speak. <laughs> I don't know if he still wants it. I'm pretty sure that it melted once in Vegas. <laughs> but anyway, anyway. Well, if Jack doesn't want his melty Canadian chocolate, then I'll take it. <laughs> I've been waiting. I've been waiting for you to express some interest in giving up on trying to get it to Jack, so I could say that. That is hilarious. 
<clears throat> I've actually considered opening it up and just because I'm sure Jack's forgotten about it by now. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, enough of that. So yeah, uh, that those are places where I will be in Charlotte at least one day, guaranteed, unless something awful happens. And Richmond, I'm leaning towards it. <clears throat> so yeah, anyone who wants to see me say hi, get asked three dumb questions, by all means, please do. So with that, I think we're going to go. So this has been episode 314 of the Manipool. Thank you again, uh, JT, for... <laughs> so we were sitting here on a call, me and Mike and Brian, and I was like, hey, JT's on. And I actually, I think I had a chat box open with JT already. And I was like, hey, you guys, since this was his idea back in the day, because this is like a two-year-old topic... <sighs> think we should bring him on and they're like sure and just as i go to type it jt pops up with so i don't really want to ask but you guys don't need an extra person do you i was like really like i said i'm actually sitting right outside of your apartment so i actually asked you uh or i actually heard you ask them oh so timing on that was hilarious so so thank you very much jt for uh adding uh stuff that we would never have thought of ever it was my pleasure and uh, Dirk is sadly still, as Brian said, being eaten by grad school work and stuff. Uh, as his last text, Brian said he will try to be back very soon. And I know we all miss him. Although, admittedly, these last two weeks, uh, Jack, uh, what's his name? Dirk. Oh, God, I'm forgetting his name. The green guy. Uh, wouldn't have had much input anyway, so it was actually fine that, that, that he missed these two in particular. Because he doesn't care. He didn't want to go to any tournaments. <laughs> Shut up. So that that's good. Our timing is good. But anyway, we're done now. So this has been, as I said, episode 314 of the Manipool Pie. Thank you all very much for listening. And uh, go play some magic. Hello. <laughs> wow, that didn't work at all. <laughs> okay, starting again. Shut up, Scott. Scott goes, I like the new intro. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. <sighs> Hello again and welcome to the Manipool. I got it out that time. This is episode 